0: Well, welcome to this special program. The Michelle Miao Show is your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. I never get tired of saying that. Uh, <laughs> you know, I know we threw this thing kind of, you know, shortly together. Of course, my esteemed colleagues here, who I've rushed out and emailed to and invited them to this panel understand that, but um, that all, you know, was because of a lot of the stuff that we've been seeing in the community in terms of the dialogue that's been going on i know there's a lot of discussions and 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 uh, passionate and emotional feelings around what's at stake for this election in 2020 and so just like old times or just like new times or the time right now there's never a good or bad time it's the right time for all of us to get Get off our butts and get out of you know the office or the, the couch or whatever it is that you're sitting in front of a computer, minus if you're a journalist, you're all good, <laughs> And and just have this discussion together and be human together, and it's okay. So I'm excited for this talk and super grateful and super thankful for these leaders. If you're tuning in to this program from somewhere outside of San Francisco, do know Each and every single one of these folks, uh, as our producer and engineer pointed out, are superstars, the superstars of our community, as well as folks who have been on the program before. Um, So I think without further ado, let's get our program started. And we'll have each of our panelists introduce themselves. So just uh, to state, you know, how you identify in terms of name and and however else you want to add to that and a simple title. And we'll start with Remy.
1: Thank you, Michelle. Good evening, everybody. I'm Anjali Remy. My pronouns are she and they. I have many identities, but the one that applies most here is that I'm an international citizen. I'm a Canadian-American, and I am a proud South Asian trans woman. And this is important to me because I'm new. I am a new citizen. Thank you.
2: Hi everyone. I'm Terry Beswick, and I am not here representing the GLBT Historical Society, but I am the executive director of the GLBT Historical Society. Um, I've been I'm a barrier native, and I've been uh, in San Francisco for about 40 years, uh, active in the LGBT community for about 35. Um, my history is working mostly on AIDS as well as gay rights issues, um, and. Uh, currently, I'm working on trying to build a full-scale museum in San Francisco for LGBT history, which is, would be the first that uh, we would have in the United States. Um, and so I'm excited to be here tonight. Thanks.
3: Hi, everybody. Thank you to the Commonwealth Club and to Michelle Miao for the invitation. I'm most grateful, and to all my colleagues here for being here tonight. I'm Melanie Nathan, and I direct the African Human Rights Coalition. I'm also not representing them. I'm here in my own capacity, but i um, strongly behind what I'm here to say tonight. Um, impacts, I do believe, the people that I work with who are mostly LGBTQI asylum seekers and refugees who are stuck in African countries. I'm also a country conditions expert in the United States, Japanese, EU, UK courts for, um, uh, for asylum seekers who are seeking asylum here um, in those particular countries. And uh, again, um, I'm looking forward to hearing what everybody has to say tonight.
4: Hi everyone, I'm Honey Mahogany. I am also a San Francisco native. I am currently working as a legislative aide um, for District 6 Supervisor Matt Haney at City Hall. Um, A little bit more background, I am a founder of the Compton's Transgender Cultural District which is the first transgender cultural district in the world. Um, I'm also a founder of the Stud Collective and um, co-owner of the Stud Bar, along with my 17 other fierce um, (laughs) collective members. And um, I'm a social worker by training. I have my MSW. I'm also a a current member of the San Francisco Democratic County Central Committee. I was appointed uh, two years ago, and I'm a former president of the Harvey Milk LGBTQ Democratic
5: Club.
6: Great.
5: And and honey, like some of us here, is on the ballot in March. I am as well, so Honey <laughs> for days. the central committee. So please make sure that you vote for for her. Uh, uh, my name is David Campos. Again, thank you to Michelle to the Commonwealth Club for having me back. Uh, I wear a number of hats. Uh, my day job is in Santa Clara County, where I'm a deputy county executive, but I'm not here in that capacity. Uh, and uh, in my spare time, I'm chair of the San Francisco Democratic Party. And uh, the party has not formally endorsed, and we hope to have a, a nominee uh, very soon once the presidential uh, process ends. And my hope is that uh, whatever your you know, predilections are, that we as Democrats are going to get behind a nominee Uh, that will make sure that we get this horrible man out of the White House. And that's really our priority from our perspective. Uh, And as chair of the San Francisco Democratic Party, I believe that the San Francisco Democratic Party has a big role to play in this election. And we're going to work hard to make sure that uh, we uh, make sure that we defeat Trump, but also that we keep the House of Representatives in the U.S. Senate, that we take it back in November.
7: Hi, everyone. I'm Peter Gulotta. Um So excited to be here. Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> Thank you, John and the Commonwealth Club. Um, I'm a queer political activist and a climate justice advocate. I've spent most of my professional career here in San Francisco, working on um, on climate change, uh, fighting climate change um, and working on environmental policy um, for the city of San Francisco. Um, tonight, I'm, I'm here kind of representing um, a, along with David and and Honey, the San Francisco Democratic Party. I'm currently serving um, as the corresponding secretary for the San Francisco Democratic County Central Committee Um, have been serving um, uh, for the past three years. Um, I was elected as a delegate to the California Democratic Party in 2017 and I'm also a past president of the Harvey Milk LGBTQ Democratic Club here in San Francisco. So Democratic Party politics is very important to me um, and is where I've spent a lot of my time organizing, getting out the vote uh, here in San Francisco, knocking on thousands of doors, making sure that our city and our residents and voters are engaged and aware um, of the issues that we care about as San Franciscans and excited for the conversation tonight. Well, then let's get right into it with (laughs) the big question, and we'll start with you, Peter, and then work this way back. Who do you want to be the Democratic nominee for president, and why? I love this question, Um, (laughs) and um, obviously something I think about a lot. Um, So I am very proud to have endorsed um, Senator Bernie Sanders for president. Um, And, you know, for me, when I think about kind of the why Um, One, I think back to actually in in 2016, um, when Senator Rand the first time, um, I was very excited about his candidacy then um, because it felt like there was kind of a breath of fresh air that he was kind of bringing to the Democratic Party um, in terms of just his vision and and the ideas that he was putting forth. You know, Medicare for all um, was something that he was championing uh, in 2016. And even just to think back to four years ago of that kind of being a, a bit of a novel kind of concept in terms of we've talked a lot about universal health care in this country, but he was really bringing it to a national stage. And um, in the past four years, I think we've seen how much movement there's been on that issue alone in terms of awareness and understanding um, amongst the uh, kind of American electorate uh, that uh, this is something that we need in this country um, you know, I think Democrats uh, have over, I think, 70 percent of, of Democrats in the United States support the idea of Medicare for all. So um, in 2016, you know, I think the senator really kind of started um, you know, planting the seeds that we actually now see what's happening now in terms of just how much this movement around that issue has grown, and it's it's beyond that for me. I think now seeing you know the senator back in this in the race uh, this time, I think in my opinion the Democratic Party has has a, in a bit of an identity crisis um, in terms of what happened in 2016. Right, um, we've needed to rebuild our party over the past. Four years. And I think we're still in the process of doing that. I think we're still trying to figure out who we are and what we stand for. Um, and I think we're at a moment where um, the central question or issues that we are we are up against is one of equity um, in terms of is what, what do we stand for as Democrats in terms of are we are we actually working to address the needs and the issues of working people in this country? Uh, because we know that people are hurting, that we have seen so much income inequality Um, And healthcare is just an example of where that inequality, um, you know, uh, lies. And so I'm proud to be supporting Senator Sanders because I do think his vision for the country is what we need right now. We need to be transforming our systems that have been failing us. Um, And and really, I think as the Democratic Party, we've shown that, that business as usual and the status quo is not working. So it's time for another that breath of fresh air. I think now it's, there's a lot of wind um, at his back this time. Um, and I think there's a movement underway. I saw him speak here in San Francisco back in March of 2019, early on in the campaign. And it was amazing to see the energy, the, the, who was there. It was an amazingly diverse community of folks that turned out for him. And I think just standing there, I knew that day, I was like, this is the person I want for president who's bringing people together um, and who's actually standing for something and a vision beyond just being against, fighting back against Trump, but actually standing on policy vision for our country. David, about four years ago, you moderated a panel at the Commonwealth Club with someone who was not a candidate yet, but shortly thereafter became one. Who are you supporting and who was that (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I was
5: actually in this building sitting right next to Bernie Sanders when he first had announced his candidacy. And uh, uh, ever since we met, you know, we've had a a very uh, important connection. And I don't want to repeat what Peter said out of, uh, you know, respect to some of the other candidates, because I want to make sure that we hear about them as well. Uh, But I I actually have been a Bernie Sanders supporter uh, since then. Uh, and was, I think, one of the first uh, electeds in San Francisco, former electeds, to come out for him again and spoke at his rally. Um, and you know, But I want to say a couple of points. And, and, and by the way, besides Bernie, I also like uh, Elizabeth Warren, who I think uh, has brought uh, a breath of fresh air in terms of her ideas. But what I would say about the Democratic Party, and it's interesting because I speak as the chair of the Democratic Party in San Francisco, And yet, in many respects, see myself as an outsider within the Democratic Party. We ran to 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 govern the Democratic Party because we want to reform it. Is that I really believe that one of the reasons the Democratic Party lost the White House is that we uh, we basically lost our way that we became in many respects Republican light in terms of our connection to Wall Street, in terms of our connection to corporate interests. Uh, and and that left out a lot of the basic, hardcore Democratic supporters, and especially people of color, uh, felt disconnected from that party. Uh, and I think that whatever happens in terms of who the nominee is, and I think it's likely to be Bernie, I, I don't see how anyone else will catch up to him. I think that we need to get behind not just that candidate, but really the basic values that make us Democrats. It is not enough to beat Donald Trump, because if we beat Donald Trump and we uh, give up on those principles and values, I think we're going to be back in the same place again. I don't want a candidate who's just against Trump. I want a candidate who's actually for something, Uh because I think that in the end, that's what voters want. And I actually think that to be successful in November, You're going to have to do that. It is not enough for us to talk about why we hate Donald Trump. We have to talk to voters, especially in these swing districts, about why, you know, we are running, what we would do if we were in charge. And the last thing that I would say, having been in politics for a long time, including having served as a member of the Board of Supervisors, I think that the most important thing that voters want, especially now, is authenticity. Mm People may not always agree with you. And I'll tell you that some of my biggest supporters are people who do not agree with me on some issues. But they want someone who is going to be honest about who they are, who has integrity, who's going to listen and and take into account other points of view. But at the end of the day, who is themselves. And that's why I think Bernie has done well. And sadly, why Trump has done well. Uh, because he is authentic about who he is. He is this sexist, bigoted, you know, racist man, and that actually connects with some people in this country, right? And so authenticity, to me, about who we are, about our candidate, is important.
4: Um, I agree with everything these two have said. Um, I, too, supported uh, Bernie Sanders during the last election and then switched my support to Hillary, uh, Hillary um, when she got the nomination. Um, I have to say though that I am supporting Elizabeth Warren in this primary uh, because I do think that we need that breath of fresh air. I think we need a change. Um, I think that both her and Bernie are incredibly strong candidates that um, embody So many of my priorities, my beliefs, my values, and I think that they're both very inspiring candidates um, for those reasons. Um, You know, Peter talked a lot about healthcare, and I think healthcare is and should be the number one issue that's on the ballot. I mean, literally millions of Americans are not covered, um, are dying on a daily basis, or are 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 being kept sick because they can't afford to buy the medication that they need. Um, And I think a lot of that is because you know we as Democrats have compromised so much, so many of our values. We've, we've um, sold the party out to corporate interests. Um, and, and, and for me, it is time for a change, a revolution. Um and we need people, we need leaders who are authentic and who, who say what they mean um, and also who are unafraid to stand up. And I think that Elizabeth Warren has those um, qualities about her. I think that she is absolutely fearless in the way that she speaks truth to power. She's not afraid to say things that other people are afraid will get them in trouble or to lose donors over being outspoken over the corruption that she sees. I mean, she's someone that stands up and says we need to reform government so that people like me cannot be lobbied by special interests. That, to me, is someone who is a leader. She's not afraid to admit when she makes mistakes or when she's wrong in the past and comes out with not just an apology, but with a, 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 a way forward to, um, to make reparations. That is something that I think is incredibly important in any candidate I'm going to support. Um, and I think that she's also really unafraid to talk about issues that um, are controversial, even within the Democratic base, you know, whether it be reparations for African-Americans, whether it be naming, you know, transgender women who have been killed over the last year and, you know, consistently bringing up these issues, not just in spaces where she thinks that they'll go over well, but posting public videos about it on her cam- um, through her campaign. Um, and even this was she was doing this before she was running for president. And so I have a lot I have tremendous respect for both her and Senator Sanders. Um, for running, and I, I really hope that they will get the nomination. Um, I also, um, I know that people are oftentimes express, well, you know, identity politics is is so divisive, and we can't, we can't base our choice on that, but it's time for a woman president in the United States of America. Um, we have been a country that has been ruled by men for so long, and, you know, I don't think that any of us um, can argue that, you know, men haven't done a super great job in these (laughs) leadership positions. And when we see countries that are led by women, including like Finland just passed an incredible um, paternal and maternal and paternal leave package where both parents can get seven months of of maternal or paternal leave. And it's because, you know, their government is run by women. I mean, most of their elected members are are women. So um, it's, it's, it's important because when you have women and minorities at the table, they're able to prioritize those things that people who are you know, cisgendered white men um, either don't have to think about or don't you know, have the luxury of not thinking about or you know, just aren't prioritizing because they have, you know, they're used to getting their way and they're used to seeing the world a certain way. So I want someone in the White House who represents me, who represents my community, but is also able to look at things from a different perspective um, than people who have been there before.
1: Thank you. Melanie?
3: Yeah. So um, I'm not here to endorse or represent a particular candidate, but I am here to offer a perspective that I think is critical for us to look at. And before I do that, I want to say in 2016 I was a Bernie supporter, and when Hillary won the nomination, of course she got my vote. I noticed online the amount of alienation that occurred amongst us Democrats and very much amongst us LGBT people. And it horrified me during the primaries to see how people were going at each other and how unfriendly they were and how they were digging their heels into their positions and not even willing to hear each other or read websites or read articles and converse. It was just this mudslinging. And I would go online and I would say, please do me a favor, like, calm down, you know. Um, We're going to have to love each other when it comes to the general because whoever our nominee is, we're going to have to stand behind. And unfortunately, a lot of people didn't stand behind the nominee and there were other factors involved as well. And in offering this perspective, it is my hope that people will open their eyes to two things. Number one, this is not business as usual number, very much not business as usual. And I want to tell you how I came to be, I think, sitting here offering this perspective. So I had decided to imagine Trump on a debate stage. And then I put each one of those candidates next to him. And I kind of remembered how he was with Hillary and how when she one time she trounced on him and everybody was like, oh, my God, Hillary, she trounced on him, you know, and, and she, she did so well. And the next thing we know, the red states, of course, could, weren't even watching the damn debates. You know, they were at rallies and they were hearing the racist stuff and the xenophobic stuff and he shaped what he wanted and he won in a milieu of a lot of factors, of which we don't need to go into here right now. So after I'm putting each candidate and imagining them next to Bernie, the only candidate who I saw standing up to him, and in my opinion, poop being fought with poop, was Bloomberg. That's what I saw. I saw Bloomberg standing up to him in a way that nobody else was able to stand up to him. And what flashed in front of me were the red states and those blue states that turned red. And I thought to myself, let me write an article, and how am I going to get people to read this article? So I took the liberty of calling it Liberal Lesbians for Bloomberg. And that was before some of this negative stuff started coming out about what he'd said about trans people and the the slur apparently that he used towards lesbians and whatever. And black people. And black people. And, you know, it wasn't very good. So what I did when I had this vision, I knew nothing about Bloomberg, is I went to his website plans page and I read his plans. And I must tell you, I was reasonably impressed with what he said. I like that he's going to support the Equality Act. I like what he's doing with... with, um, um, Uh, medical insurance stuff, what he said about that. I liked everything he said. I liked that he is, uh, everything that he said about um, the LGBT perspective was spot on, spot on. He also said, and this really resonated for me, on his website, which is pretty risky in these pro-Trump times, that he is going to take the 18,000 number now that Trump has for the refugee count to come into the United States, and he's going to take it back up to 125,000. Now, I'm of the belief that not even 125,000 is enough. I think America's big and ugly enough, whatever way you want to look at it, we can, we can take in 250,000 refugees a year. What Trump has done is he's clogged the pipeline, and most impacted are LGBTI refugees, who are dying as I'm sitting here in Kakuma camp in Kenya and in other parts of Africa. Why? Because those refugees, LGBTI refugees, are in hostile host Countries, unlike political refugees, because when they go into another country, it's not a hostile host. But there are over 30 countries in Africa that criminalize LGBTI people. So when I'm looking at people that are literally dying because of our policies and our failed values, I'm not thinking Republican, I'm not thinking Democrat, I'm thinking get Trump the F out of there. And so I'm doing a count. So what I did was. I did a very crude analysis. And this is my analysis here. I'm not going to bore you with too much of the details of it. But I went back to every single state that happened in the last election. And I looked at the red states and I looked at the blue states. And I looked at the number of electoral colleges for each person. Mm. And I took a subject who's a Bernie supporter. And I said to the subject, okay, I'm only going to give you the states Trump won And then I want you to tell me if you think Bloomberg can win the state. And included in that state was Texas and Florida. I checked in with the Bloomberg camp. He's just opened 11 new offices in Texas. He's got all this money he's throwing at it. And to cut a long story short, I came up with Bloomberg through the words of the Bernie supporters' vision Winning a lot of rare, well, a lot more elect in the electoral college. That's what we came up with, and then I said, okay, let's go back and take those same um, that same question and let's talk Bernie. Now I don't want to waste any more time here, but I'm happy. I think I'm going to share these numbers in an article that came of this very crude analysis. The Bernie person did pretty well. Bernie's going to do. Pretty well with some of those states. But Bernie is not going to get Florida. And Bernie is not going to get Texas. And I think Bloomberg might stand a chance. So I'm coming from the perspective of two things. I'm going to ask all of you, and I'm going to ask the Democratic Party to have the guts, the chutzpah, and the courage to take a look at the, the, the following two things. Number one, to put aside those terrible things that Bloomberg said. Number two... Throw away our idealism for a two-phase strategy. Step number one, get somebody in there who can be elected, who can stand up to Trump and can be elected. And number two, use that as a springboard for our idealism to change the system in its entirety. Let's not be myopic about this. Let's look at a 16-year plan. I really think we can do it with Bloomberg. Thank you.
2: Okay, thank you. Terry? Gosh, great. Yeah, i got to follow that. Okay. <laughs> so what a great uh, collection of comments about uh, these candidates. And I do want to reiterate, what, as others have said, that I will, of course, not only vote for whoever gets the nomination, but work for them and campaign for them. I think it's uh, critically important that we put aside any kind of reservations that we may have. Um, and uh, get on board because lives are at stake, uh, su- Supreme Court seats are at stake, and, and essentially that's that's what it's about. Um, so. Uh, I just got added to the panel yesterday. I haven't really thought about this too much, and I do want to say that I'm not a surrogate for the Buttigieg campaign. I'm a guy that tables occasionally on Castro Street for Buttigieg, and um, you know, uh, posts things occasionally on Facebook. Um, so, other than that, I, I I want to talk just a little bit about you know about me and how I came to uh, the position that I think. Uh, Pete Buttigieg would be the uh, best president uh, among the candidates that we have right now for the Democratic nomination. And uh, first of all, I, 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 I think I've... This is a panel of LGBTQ uh, leaders, and I'm here... To speak on behalf or, or speak for the LGBTQ candidate, and I think that that 's a sort of an elephant in the room that i it 's important to acknowledge, um, and especially when we talk about in the context of identity politics and what does that mean that 's such a complex and loaded uh, term, uh, and I, some, I, I take offense you know when uh, uh, people assume that I support uh, Pete Buttigieg because i 'm a, a gay guy. I came out as gay uh, as a very young man. I'm um, uh, HIV positive uh, for many years as well. And those two things have really been formative in terms of my, my politics. Uh, prob- but probably the most formative thing in, uh, in my political thinking has been just being a resident of San Francisco. Um, and as such, I see myself as a pragmatic progressive, if you will, um, you know, there is no Republican Party in San Francisco. Um, so uh, and I, you know, and I, I occasionally have you know, maybe there's a little one. Yeah. Yeah. We couldn't find one for the panel, I think. But uh, <laughs> I think, um, uh, you know, I, I think that um, I've I've kind of um, come to the view that uh, uh, to be a pragmatic, democratic, progressive um, uh, is it just to me it just means uh, uh, common sense. You know what are the what are your goals and what are your practical ways to get there? Um, just to back up, uh, about a year and a half ago, I think I was reading in the New York Times that uh, uh, this uh, gay guy from South Bend in Indiana had announced that he was forming an exploratory committee uh, for the presidential campaign and i i am I, sure i scoffed I, you know I, I um and flipped to the next article um and thought it was absurd and ridiculous especially his name i was like oh my god just paint a target on your back you know <laughs> and uh and I, so i i i genuinely thought it was it was a joke and i didn't go back and look at him until much later um as i was looking at all the other candidates and um, as so many people have said, that when they stop and uh, and they put aside their reservations um, and uh, and listen, um, that they're often persuaded uh, to listen some more. Um, and in in that sense, he's he's very engaging. Um, I think he has a very um, intelligent and 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 uh, personal uh, touch in a way that he uh, is able to communicate people with to people about very complex ideas and people of very different political views. And um, many of us here have talked about um, you know, that their candidate of choice is the one that can unify or bring people together. Um, and I believe that, everybody has that everyone has that capacity, but uh, I feel that Buttigieg uh, has a real uh, persuasive quality about him um, uh, that is non-confrontational, in a sense, and is able to uh, get people to see the other side of something uh, from uh, uh, you know in my in my organization uh, historical society it 's about storytelling. you tell a story um, and in that way um, you know you 're able to get down to the specifics of what you know, how a policy impacts an individual and then what specifically you can do about it and I think he has a very uh, a very um, uh, a thorough approach uh, to policy in that sense, I just want to say um, mention a story I, had, I was already on board. I was all in for Buttigieg, judge, and then I got a call uh, from uh, Bevan Dufty, who often plays the role of uh, of gay um, uh, uh, ambassador for San Francisco. I don't know why he still gets those calls, but uh, uh, he got there. <laughs> Honestly, I love Bevan, but I mean, uh, but he's the guy I guess you go to. So, uh, Buddha judges come into town and they call him and say, Can you get somebody to show him around, uh, show him around, uh, his husband around? Uh, to uh, check out the homeless situation in the Castro. And so Bevan set up a little tour, and he called me and said, can we check out the museum? I said, sure. So I kind of like tagged along as we walked around the Castro. But when we went into the museum on 18th Street, and it's a small museum, just a small gallery, um, but we do have... uh, I I took him on a whirlwind tour, and then we stopped um, in front of the um, Harvey Milk exhibit. And it's a small window... Um, and behind the scrim there, uh, with a light behind it that comes up when you stand in front of it, you, you go and you hit the button uh, in front of the scrim and you hear uh, a recording of Harvey Mook's Last Testament um, where he, you know, he uh, makes suggestions on who might replace him in the event of his assassination and so on. Um, and you, the light comes up and you see behind the scrim the, sh- the suit. Uh, that we were able to retrieve that he was assassinated in. and You can see the bloodstains on the collar. And and when, you know, when I first saw that suit, I thought, that's a little macabre, why do we have that? And, and then I started listening to the visitors to the museum. So anyway, I parked him in front of that. He listens to the will, and he's like standing there looking at the suit. And I stood back, and I watched him. And then it struck me that he is standing there, and, and he was like, Overwhelmed with emotion uh, to think, um, and it struck me that he he 's looking at this the, the suit that Harvey Milk was assassinated. Harvey Milk was the first openly gay elected official in California and one of the first in the world, and his husband is running the first credible candidate candidacy for the democratic nomination of the united states uh, forty forty two years later and so uh, to me, that was like. Uh, a, a really poignant moment. I snapped a picture and I posted it, um, and it, uh, the picture just tells that story. And um, you know, so for me, I I'm not going to lie. This is like this is a historic candidacy, and it's not just because it's the first gay candidate for president of the United States, openly gay, but it's because it's Pete Buttigieg. It's past that now. But it's still, that's important. And why is that important on a historical level? I think it's, it's because of those kids, it's because of that kid in Altoona, Pennsylvania, that Harvey Malk was talking about. And it still matters here in San Francisco, and it still matters across the country that young kids get to, who were tormented um, in schools and in church and in society and by their families and are still being t- tossed out, um, that this candidate is being taken seriously and he's openly gay and proudly married and and he doesn't hide it and he puts that right up front that he's openly gay and he won in iowa by the common measure of you know most delegates um and he placed a very very close second in the same number of delegates in new hampshire and i think he stands a very good chance of uh coming in second, maybe even winning in Nevada tomorrow, <laughs> uh, because the polls have been wrong repeatedly in engaging uh, the uh, the other candidates' level of support in the voting booth. Um, so I think that persuasion that he's able to make, and I'm not going to get into talking about his policies except to say, um, I think he gets the bum rap. I think he is a pragmatic progressive um, I believe, as he says, that he would be, if elected, the most progressive president that we've had in over 50 years in the United States. Um, and if you go back and you, and you look at his policies on uh, health care, uh, where his goal is universal coverage, and he has a pathway to get there, Medicare for all who want it, um, which I think is persuasive to middle America. If you look at his... Uh, I just noticed that Greenpeace gave him a B+. Plus. On uh, the environment and on climate change, on their scorecard, their independent scorecard, um, and I do believe Sanders got an A. I'll take a B plus if, it gets, if, it, if, it, if we throw in their electability. And I think a lot of people assume that he's a D or an F, you know. Um, and the same on racial justice. The Center for Econ- uh, for uh, uh, racial equity uh, gave him a B plus recently, and I think again, uh, Warren got an A. I think and Um, uh, Sanders got a B plus as well I believe Um, and on and on down the list and so I just urge people to go in and actually dig into his policies and say do you agree with these policies or do you not Um, and does he have a reasonable path to get these policies accomplished in the U.S. Congress and that's really a key question A. can he get elected B. can he get anything done in the U.S. Congress or she um, and um, on that basis, I, I urge everyone to vote for
1: Pete Buttigieg, okay. as I have done. <laughs> <laughs> Remy, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm coming from a perspective of newness, which I touched on, and frustration. I am tired of people co-opting into the experience of people of color, trans people of color, and immigrants. And white cis men need to know that they take up too much space and need to step back in the gay community, as well as outside. And that is where my perspective comes in. I am not a native San Franciscan. I live in East Oakland. I'm proud to be here. I've been here four years. But let me tell you, when 2015, 2016, 2007, I was living in Texas, in Houston, in a very red state. When Obama got elected, I was living in Canada. So my perspective is, who can I relate to? And it kind of takes me back to another perspective of what we're going through right now. Is that I come from India, where it is not bipartisan. It is multiple parties that end up getting coalitions together, somehow form the government, stay in power and such. And the history of India is also the time when the woman was the prime minister, in the country went to shit. So... Um, The other perspective I also want to offer is that my own experience of being in the Bay Area. I got fired from the job here in 2005 for transitioning or attempted transition, not too far in East Bay. I had to get on a bus and go to Canada. And you know Canada is the haven for socialism. Do you know how difficult it was for me to make ends meet? So when candidates come out and say, we are going to transform this world, please, if that's how world gets transformed, then no trans woman should ever get killed already, right? This is a first nation. So for me, when I look at candidates, I can't relate to any of them, A. B is I have an issue with each one of them because I'm a little pessimistic because I've gone through a lot of trauma. I'm a rape survivor, I'm an immigrant. I've, I came to this country a month after 9-11. And I went to a state like Idaho, which was so red, to grad school. I had had shit thrown on my face. I had to, because of a hate crime, so many things happened. So to me, when I look at somebody who is quintessentially over-righteous, especially in the Bay, and says, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to change the world, I really struggle with it. Because you know what? Realism and realistic, practical approach is so important. Here's my other perspective. I worked in corporate America for over 16 years. I have been told by white cis men, white cis women, that they are the leaders and I'm the follower. So what it takes me is a perspective where I am somewhere in the middle. Middle America is not ready to turn over and go through a revolution. So when I look at a candidate like Bernie, I don't know, I'm learning, I'm educating myself But when he talks about socialism and what all he has done in the past, history flows, I struggle. When I look at Pete, just being polyglot and just serving in the country is honorable. I speak seven languages too, but that doesn't mean that you have policy and the experience to drive. When I look at Amy and Warren, women, I want them to be winning and be the president. But they said this country is not ready to have a woman or a gay president. We didn't have a black president, so it's possible. But both of them are very much in the middle. Will they change my life as a trans woman of color, change the life of every QTPOC? I don't think so. And then who else is there? See, I'm learning and educating myself. Bloomberg. Um, let's come to Bloomberg. I'll go back to the perspective. Thank you. I was, that was a pitched question, by the way. As I said, I worked in corporate America for 16 years. How do you think I survived? I navigated the system and I knew how to go about it. At one, never at one point did I say, this is a revolution and it needs to happen. I'm not condoning the bureaucracy and the red ta- redlining and everything else and the gagging of women. I'm not endorsing any of that. But I will say this, somebody who's $64 billion rich can throw a lot of money and might appeal to those people that hated and didn't want me to exist in the states of Texas, even New York, and even in Washington, Idaho. I've lived in eight states, 11 cities, three countries. And when I lived in New York, Sandy happened, Bloomberg was the mayor, and I was just talking to my chosen trans mother. She'll kill me if I say mother because she's much younger than that. Um, and she, was, she and I were talking about our times of living together when Bloomberg was the mayor. Giuliani created shit in the country, in the city, and there was a lot of reform around violence and a lot of crime came down during Bloomberg. Did he take the right approach? Not really. But who am I to know that? Because I'm one of those newly elect, newly uh, snow, sworn in American as of December 12th, 2019, that doesn't really pay much attention to elections and politics and is not in the weeds. So I'm going to get swayed by whoever can convince me. And I've been watching every debate and every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, I'm going to vote Vote <laughs> for him. The next time, I oh, no, I'm going to vote for him. I'm definitely not going to vote for Trump. That's like killing myself all over again. But I will leave you with these facts. My gender marker change and my citizenship happened under Trump. My ex-husband's green card was denied twice because he was a Muslim under Obama. Mm. So that is my perspective. And at this point, I cannot endorse anybody until they can prove to me that they can relate to me and they 're going to actually give me a perspective that I can see hope mm-hmm. thank you
0: wow wow I, I, I thought we were going to walk out of here being like okay we 're voting for X all of us, all <laughs> twenty of us and the thousands of folks who listen to the program thank you so much to our panelists i want to remind everyone by the way there is wine back there so if you need a little bit of that just to kind of you know hang out ease into this whole conversation and our panelists too please raise your hand and and my lovely wife Oran, is going to bring you some wine oh, thank you. Hi, or- um,
1: <laughs> you might need it i'll take white yeah
0: okay <laughs> How he's gonna have some white wine uh, all right, so we got about fifteen minutes that I can ask some of these uh, hard questions that I've written down. I consider them hard because they were very hard for me to come up with. And then we're going to open it up to the audience. So if you have a question, start thinking about them, and we'll John and I will run around with a mic. Authenticity. Thank you. Fight poop with poop. These were two things that I pulled out of uh, what you had offered in terms of how we beat Trump. And I think for many of us who have been impacted by this president in the last four years want to answer that. How do we actually beat this president who has... In 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 some you know this crazy way, and it seems like it is a television show. But he has been able to even beat our justice system and uh, get away with certain things that you know some of us in this room can't even get away with a speeding ticket. Mm. So let's talk about how we actually beat Trump. And I'll I'll you know um, if you feel compelled to answer this question, feel free to answer it. But we want some very short. You know, concise answers. So about a minute or two. Um, your thoughts and be specific in terms of strategy, and versus you know, or, or be anecdotal if you can. Uh, but how we actually beat this president who's been able to ride on our division as a party. Um, and what I mean by that is that obviously you know it's been very public in the Democratic Party in which we have been on on very. Polar opposite sides at times, and I'll give an example, you know, uh, Senator Sanders versus Hillary Clinton. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't want to, yes, I'm going to call the, what do they call it, the elephant. Let's just put it out there. Our Our party has been fractured to some degree. <laughs> Let's talk about coming to a point where there's unity and we, we we get to a place where there are some actual strategies to defeat Donald Trump this November. And Honey's got her hand up first. Yeah, I, you know, I thank you. I feel
4: like there are a lot of opinions about how to go about this. Um, but um, from what I've seen and from looking at the past elections that have come up, I actually don't think respectfully that it's about, you know, finding the middle ground or um, convincing the independents or the undecideds to vote for once for uh, a more moderate candidate who can reach across the aisle. Um, I think that we have tried that. Um, And I think if you look at the last two historic elections, Trump won not because he was someone who was going to reach across the aisle. He won because he inspired his base to vote and turn out. And Hillary, I think, lost, even though she won the popular vote because she did not inspire as many people in the Democratic Party and on the left to turn out and vote. I think Obama won by the margins that he did because he so deeply inspired The people that turned out to vote and his opposition did not and i mean even if you just look at that like the reason that trump was able to do with what he did i think is because of the reaction right there were a lot of people who did not want a black president and so i do think it's about providing someone who is going to inspire people who's going to get their the, the democratic base inspired and serve as a standard bearer and i you know and for me that is someone like elizabeth warren or bernie sanders
0: Terry and then Mel.
2: Yeah, um, I, I agree with with that in terms of the overall uh, view. I think, though, that with Obama in particular, and I think Obama is probably the best analogy that we have for uh, Buttigieg in this election cycle. Um, you can't really make a comparison because that was two candidates, and we, here we still have I don't know how many. But uh, I think with Buttigieg... Um, you know I think or with any candidate, I think really what it's about is it's uh, sp- speaking as others have said with authenticity to people to not alienate uh, alienate people but to really like give the to inspire them to give them a chance to um, to have hope that we can turn the page to move on to something different i don't think it's going to be like uh the opposite of Trump, from conservative to uh far left progressive um, and so and i don 't think it 's going to be about Trump versus middle. I think it 's going to be about Trump and something different. We have to have something different that is like starting over that 's not speaking the same kind of language that and the the political language that Trump has created and forced us all into this kind of like game. Where we're in, like, this reality show, um, and it's not even about truth anymore. It's just about rhetoric and, 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 and nonsense, really, and, and hate. And I think so, to change to somebody else that's talking about love and somebody that's talking about um, uh, progressive change um, and having people to come together to better the human race. And to heal this planet, I think, is, is you know, re- regardless of which candidate manages to get the nomination, if they can do that, um, then I think Trump is defeated. But if we're like going to just like buy into his game and try to respond to him as an opposite of that, then I think we lose.
0: Mel and then David.
3: You know, I really appreciated what you said, honey, because um, I do believe that's the bottom line, that inspiration factor. And I think that's what's missing from this election, um, because nobody's lobbed on in the in the Democratic Party to the extent that we did um, when uh, President Obama ran. Um, he was so inspiring. As far as I'm concerned, I think that inspirational uh, candidate possibility for me is Elizabeth Warren, and I don't think that she's been given enough of an elevation in the media or what it takes, but here's what I do think. I think it boils down to that old, age-old saying, money makes the world go around. Um, I think that um, it's money, 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 given that we don't have that inspirational candidate, or have elevated her enough. So uh, Trump has his coffers are pretty full. Bloomberg is the bloke coming in with hundreds of millions of dollars that he is willing to spend. He's already doing it. And he's spending them on advertising. What I like about Bloomberg in that um, milieu is, number one, it's his own money. He's already made it. He's worth $62 billion. Trump says he's worth $4 billion. I think Trump is worth maybe $500 million if he's lucky, and that might be a negative $500 million. Yeah. That's why I think he's not showing us his tax returns because, quite frankly, the bigger winky is in the hands, pardon the expression, of, um, of Bloomberg. Bloomberg has said that he will, if he's not the nominee, he will take his money and give it to the Democratic nominee. Bloomberg is a man who puts his money where his mouth is because he gave $200 million to the Democratic candidates in Congress to actually end up placing the gavel in the hands of Nancy Pelosi. So people who are saying he's not a true Democrat, I don't buy that argument either. So what I'm saying is it takes money, Bloomberg's going to give that money no matter what. I think it's going to, in the face of there not being an inspiring person who might be the nominee in the way that President Obama was, I think it's going to take a hell of a lot of money, and I do believe that that money can win some of the red states if it's spent properly. And once again, I want to say that if people consider looking at Bloomberg... Please read his positions, he calls it his plans, on his website. It's really a good read. And also remember that um, that it's going to boil down to the electoral colleges. And one more thing I want to say. When the founding fathers decided that, um, came with uh, the electoral college system, and it took a hell of a lot of debate to get there, what... Um, they didn't have in the, on the cards or didn't really anticipate was a two party system. And I think the two party system is what's shooting us in the foot right now because we are in a primary where it's doggy dog. You know, So my hope is that we can get that right person there, that we can spend the right amount of money on the right kind of things, but unity, the way to unify ourselves is to not allow ourselves to get into a situation where we are putting each other down even in this early stage of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. I
5: mean, I, I don't want to put anyone down, but I do want to be honest about what I think it's going to take to to really bring the Democratic <coughs> base uh, to vote, because I do think that that's the key. I, I don't think that it's about uh, necessarily uh, changing the mind to the middle of the middle-of-the-road voter. Uh, I don't think that's, as Honey said, I don't think that's why, why Trump won. But in terms of this Democratic base, uh, let me say that even though, as a gay man, I, I recognize the historic nature of this candidacy by Buttigieg, uh, I think it's really powerful, right? That we have someone who's gay who is viable. Uh, I, I don't think that uh, that he is going to be able to to drive that base in the way that other people will. And I, I especially think on the issue of race and ethnicity, I don't think that he gets those issues. And 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 by the way, I will say that he is the most polished. An articulate candidate we've had in generations. I don't think we've had someone that articulate and that talented. But I don't think that when it comes to people of color, the authenticity uh, and the connection is there. I hope that he gets that eventually because I think he can be very formidable if he does get it. Uh, uh, I think that with respect to Bloomberg, I, I will say this, that I, I hope he lives up to his word of giving the money Uh, uh, To whoever the nominee is Uh, But I don't need to read his plans even though I have I also I, I think you have to look at what he did And what he did in New York goes against everything that we stand for as a party The stop and frisk is a policy that he was defending until he decided to run for president And that is a policy that that Uh, destroyed many lives and hurt a lot of people, and especially brown and and black men who were targeted by that policy. His comments about women, and not just his comments, but his actions towards women, do not reflect the values of our Democratic Party. I don't think that we beat Trump with Donald Trump light just because he has more money. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing about Bloomberg, is that I think that there is a fundamental danger when someone feels that they can buy an election, because that's, to me, how it comes across. He would not be a factor in this race, but for the fact that he has all that money, not based on his accomplishments, not based on his policies and what he actually was able to do. Mm -hmm. And I personally have a problem because I've seen it, that people are Following him and are active in his campaign because of his money and you know what money is not everything because you started talking about the debates and your image of the debates if you want to know how Bloomberg would do in a debate just watch the debate that we just had mm-hmm. and that debate showed that all the money in the world does not buy you mm-hmm. that credibility and that authenticity and that knowledge and grasp of policy mm-hmm. he fell apart in that debate. Notwithstanding his money, and I think that when it comes to uniting this base, that isn't going to cut it, and that's why I think that in the end, uh, you know, the way the process works, I think Bernie uh, is going to be in a position where he's going to do that. As a Bernie supporter, though, I do think that it's important for him to reach out to the other parts of the Democratic Party that are that feel threatened by him, uh, to other candidates like Buttigieg, like Warren. Uh, like Klobuchar and all of the people that ran, because I do think that it is time for us to come united, to become unified. Uh, everyone has something to contribute. I even think there is a role for Bloomberg uh, in the in Sanders administration. Uh, but in terms of who we are as a party, uh, I, I have a problem with what's happening with Bloomberg and you know, I will support whoever the nominee is, but I'm going to do everything possible to make sure that it's not someone that, in my view, doesn't reflect the values of the Democratic
7: Party.
0: Sorry, Peter, you got 30 seconds. Okay,
5: I'll be really quick. I All think right. One thing
7: I was just going to add is I agree. I think it's, it's going to come down to beating Trump. It's going to come down to values, vision, inspiration. But ultimately, it's organizing, right? Organizing gets the goods ground game that was what was so exciting about Obama's campaign in 2008 he was a community organizer he knew how to get people out to vote right that was a key part of his his presidential campaign and he did that Um, I think there were challenges around Hillary Clinton's campaign. I think we should be real about in 2016 of there was not great organizing in some of those key states where she lost. So I to I want a candidate in the end who is an organizer who is going to get people out run a strong ground game. That is one of the things I do see Senator Sanders doing well so far is actually engaging, um, you know, voters on the ground their apparatus here in California. I mean, they're organizing folks throughout the state. They're actually going out and knocking on doors um, in this primary here in California and in and in, in states throughout the country, that's the work that it's going to take. Um, and and we have to pair that work with the vision and the values.
0: I really really love that answer. So we we are you know at the time in which we're going to open it up to our audience and I, John and I had this whole book of questions. Uh, so obviously, I love that we're super engaged and we're. Um, You know, paying attention to everything that our leaders have to say. And I encourage all of you, even if it's having a conversation in your living room or at the bar, do it. We need to do it up until, you know, the actual election day. The last question for the evening from us um, is uh, I'm going to smash three questions into one. (laughs) And each of the panelists um, just give us a very short answer. But the question is give us two of the top issues that will influence your vote for the presidential nominee. Many people think that, you know, as LGBTQ voters, the issues that we care about the most might be the Equality Act. It might be, you know, um, banning, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Conversion therapy It might be reducing the ability For some of these businesses To uh, discriminate against us On a religious basis But I think The general audience If they heard from us Would probably be surprised At what we actually have to say So starting with Remy um, Two top issues That are near and dear to your heart That will influence The way that you vote uh, or support a I have presidential too many candidate. Issues.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, choose two because this is what we have time for.
1: <laughs> um, well, I'll say that the number one is immigration. If somebody can appeal to me that you can come to this dreamland and live your life as who you are, that will not only give us a trans affirming and inclusive world, which is what I'm selfishly wanting always, but it allows somebody to be a true, Im- true themselves. So immigration will definitely appeal to me. The second one is economic status. This country, you know, I'm going to go on the other side and say this country is built on capitalism. So rich get richer and the poor get poorer. So to me, somebody who can actually assign a task, a project that's going to walk through and I'm mostly into projects so that can start from the launch to the execution and walk me through that that's going to convince me that somebody homeless in San Francisco or somebody who's selling vegetables on the border of Texas and Mexico can equally live a happy and comfortable life compared to those that live off of Fifth Avenue or of Bernal Heights. Thank you.
2: Okay, oh gosh, this is tough um I have too many issues too i think um I would pick um first of all i'm going to say racial justice and uh um and related to that is income inequality um and I think that uh actually with Buttigieg's judges uh, uh, uh plans that have been developed uh with uh, consultants and people of color um that he actually has some very specific plans around racial reparations. Um, The Douglas plan, uh, specifically around African Americans, is very detailed and thorough and has uh, plans that can be executed uh, that will really make a difference in people's lives. And I think when people take a look at that, that they... uh, uh, Are persuaded that actually he is not tone deaf on racial issues, and I think anybody that says that who is in support of another candidate, I I, I frankly question uh, their motivation around that. So, um, and also healthcare. I think he, him having a plan for healthcare, Medicare for all who want it, um, is something that's uh, affordable for the United States, achievable and. Uh, through the U.S. Congress and uh, can achieve our goal of universal uh, coverage. Um, and it's something that uh, can be sold to the American public. So those are uh, my two I- uh, chief issues and uh, why I support Buttigieg. Faster everyone else.
3: Right. <laughs> issues. Two issues. That's too hard. No. Um, First of all, I think all of them have really good plans for everything. I think there's a lot of, um, on a par. As far as Bloomberg is concerned, what I like about him is I do like his immigration plan. I'm not going to go into it. It's robust and I recommend people read it. The second thing is what he's done, what he's saying about LGBT, his plan with LGBT. I like that he is going to tax earnings over five million a year um, which will impact I think 0.1% of the population Um, and he's going to tax them and use that money for infrastructure and that kind of thing. So I like that part of his plan and um, so most important and also importantly is what he has to say about guns and the stuff that he's actually done with his money to um, bring about really critical gun control and all the endorsements that he's brought along with that. Um, I also like he's electability again. And I tell people to take a look at the, those red states. Thank you, Mel. Honey?
4: For me, it's two things. Uh, if I have to choose health care, number one, for obvious reasons, but also my number two is actually anti-corruption and lobbying in government, because I think with that, we can do all the rest of the things we can get rid of. Uh, we can improve our criminal justice. We can do racial justice. We can do um, everything else that we want to do. If you can just get the people with the big paychecks to stop lobbying our elected officials? Mm.
5: I think for me, it's uh, the growing inequality is is a top issue. And the second is uh, uh, racial gender justice. And, you know, I don't question anyone's uh, motivations here just because I don't think that Buttigieg uh, doesn't get raised in ethnicity doesn't mean that I am not, uh, you know, motivated by anything other than the fact that I'm a brown man of color, a brown man who came here from Guatemala. And I think that my experience represents the experience of many in the Democratic Party. And the nominee of this party has to be able to relate to people like me uh, to be able to succeed and prevail in November.
7: Um, for me climate justice uh the climate crisis we need a green new deal uh and we need a champ uh, a president who's going to champion that we are running out of time so that to me is number one that affects all of us um it's an existential threat and then i also think i agree in terms of um when it comes down to economic justice we we have to make the one percent pay their fair share in this country It is unbelievable just the massive income inequality, the fact that the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. That has to change. We need to grow our middle class, um, and we need policies that are actually going to do that to to, um, grow our economy, tackle our climate crisis, and also create good-paying jobs for folks um, uh, and good-paying union jobs for folks in this country. Great. Thank you
0: Let's open it up to our audience and your question only one person on the panel can
8: answer. And, and we do
5: ask to keep it short. <laughs> yeah.
8: Boy, I don't know where to start. Other than I hear a lot of things that I agree with and disagree with from each of you within each of your presentations. Problem is, I think the issue, I, I would frame the issues very differently. Um, it's, it should be about healing rather than wounding. I think, Terry, I, I, I see that in Mayor Pete. I I also think it should be about the 1% having such a concentration of power and wealth. Mm -hmm. I do not think the most electable person – well, let me – before I get to that, the wheel swing voters are the Obama-Trump voters. These are people that were caught up in Obama's vision. No black America, no white America, that we're all in this together. Unfortunately, I think the, the 1% owned a little too big a percentage of him. That's another question. But we don't need an authoritarian oligarch whose progressive planks are the most authoritarian aspects of progressivism. It's, you know, it, it, we, we do live in an oligarchy. That's not going to bring in the people in the Rust Belt. Uh, by the way, Trump is not authentic. He's not really the bigot he plays himself to be. He's playing to people's bigotries. He is a pure power-hungry bastard. My, you know, and you know, this is a guy that you know. His best, his best pal was Roy Cohn. That tells you both sides of the the bigot and the meanness part of it. Um, so, I'm from a generation that felt we were putting race and gender behind us. I think we are playing into the hands of the 1% when we, when we view this election in terms of everybody being marginalized and fighting over the same pile of, of crumbs that the 1% drop on us. Any comments on that?
7: You know, one person who wants to take that one.
8: Don't all speak at once.
4: The, the, can, you, can you clarify the question? I, I was
1: having a hard time... With the
2: question. Fighting over crumbs.
1: No. I'll try to answer that because I'm not 100%. And I think what I would say is I will have a hard pressed time to understand how the one person goes away and does not dictate and decide what happens in this country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the structure of capitalism, and that's how America was built, by a group of men who sat and wrote the Constitution in 1887. I just took my exam. Sorry? 1787, right. I I would have not passed my citizenship exam. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think that's... That's a reality we have to face, and it's understanding how we navigate through that. But also, I'm not sure if, you know, if that's not saying that Bloomberg is the answer to that. You know, It's the farthest, probably. But I think it's making sure that the 99% come to some level of consensus.
7: Okay. Another question up here?
9: Okay. Um, hello. Um, I'm a Bernie supporter, been a Bernie supporter, um, knocking on doors for Bernie soon. Um, I'm, I'm pretty frightened though. I gotta be honest, man. I'm so scared. I'm so scared of this cancer in the white house. Mm -hmm. It is a cancer. Mm -hmm. It's fucking destroying us. Mm -hmm. You know, it's destroying this whole country. It's destroying everything. And I'm Mm -hmm. frightened because he, he was impeached and he could, there wasn't one Republican that, that, that voted against him. And he seems to have so much going. Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney. Right. Mitt Romney. You're right. Mitt Romney. I'm sorry, but still you're right. Um, not enough. Not yeah. enough. You know, I mean, yeah, Romney, Romney. But, <laughs> no, no, no. You know, no. what's going to get this guy out? Can Bernie really do it? I mean, they're salivating right now, Bernie. You know, there's the Trump campaign salivating, and I'm I'm feeling a little bit, um, you know, I, I just don't know if it can happen with Bernie. You know, so maybe you guys can kind of, or one of you can tell me about this if there's a plan and how we're going to make this happen.
7: I hear you 100 percent. I think that's I, I feel that concern of like, are we going to do this? Because the thought of another four years is so terrifying. And If we frankly F this one up, I really don't know what it means for the Democratic Party moving forward. I feel like we have to take it all down and rebuild and start over. I, I just so but I think to me, I think the key what, what I'm hopeful about um, is young voters. I think young people are going to make a break this election. Um, I really do. And, and the demographics are, and what I've read is saying that if we turn out young voters and as a millennial, as a young person, I think that's very important. Um, I feel a sense of obligation to turn out my peers. Um, and I think young people will turn out to vote. But I don't want to take that right as an absolute. We need to do the work and we need a candidate. And that's what I think. What, one of the things I'm excited about Bernie is I do think he is uh, inspiring and motivating young people in a way because of the issues. I mean, climate right we have young we have high school students that are 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 marching are leaving the classrooms every Friday on striking on climate and I think and, and it's resonating to them that on gun violence on so many issues right young people are seeing inaction and they are frankly pissed off and I think they're looking for who is the leader that's actually going to be clear and unequivocal about tackling those issues and I think that that is what makes me excited about Bernie because I think he has been one of the clearest in terms of where he stands on those issues and I think young people want to trust leaders um, right now when we are when it's so hard to trust when we've seen leaders continually fail us even within the Democratic Party so I'll just say young young folks are what I'm hoping for
5: If I can add to that, because I really think in many respects, that is the question, right? If it is Bernie, can he do it, right? And Mm -hmm. let me say this, that if we were talking about anyone else, Pete Buttigieg or Klobuchar or anyone else being in a position where Bernie is in terms of, you know, likely to win this nomination, I'd be supportive and be doing the same thing. I do think that young voters are key. I have to say, though, that the odds of them coming out in the numbers – that that we need and we want i'm not sure that that will happen i hope it does Mm -hmm. but i actually think that it really comes down to to the rest of the democratic voters and a lot of people who are anxious about bernie sanders what they decide to do and i'll say you know my husband is one of those folks who is worried (laughs) about that right Mm -hmm. and and i think that if those folks actually come out and get behind if it is bernie uh Behind him as the nominee, I think that we win, Mm -hmm. as is always the case. And I say this as someone who runs campaigns locally and who tries to get Democrats organized. We Democrats are our own worst enemies. (laughs) Right. And if we actually get our act together in November and we actually unify as a party for the purpose of winning the White House, Maybe we not agree on everything else. And maybe once we win it, we won't know what to do. But if we unify behind that purpose, I think that we can do it. Mm -hmm. But again, it is we that are in each other's way. We are the biggest obstacle. And if we overcome our own inertia and our own fear, I think we can do it.
6: Mm -hmm. Um, Honey, you touched on history a little bit and um, I have a degree in history and I'm, old, I'm going to date myself, but my fear of this election is in 1972, we had a criminal in the White House that was very divisive in this country. And I think the same conversation happened in the Democratic Party. And we nominated somebody that really reflected our progressive ideas, and he was trounced, trounced. So I'm afraid. And mm-hmm. I'm from the area of the country that we have to win. We have to win in Ohio. We have to win Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. We have to find some white working class votes in those states. And what I'm afraid and what I'd like you to answer is, what do you say to, I'm from a union household. Okay. My my stepfather worked on an assembly line at Whirlpool and we had insurance. Okay. We had health insurance and I want to know what you – I think that's the big truck that they're going to try to drive through, is what do you say to our union workers in those states that are working-class Democrats? What do you say about their health care in Bernie's plan or Elizabeth's? Because, and, I, and I want to vote for Elizabeth so badly. But I want to know, any of the three of you, how do you address those people about their health care and their insurance now? One – Okay, he's not
7: running. One of you for the final answer of the night.
0: I think it was directed to Honey. Yeah,
7: is it?
4: No, well, it was any of us. But we just spoke. Yeah, sure. Um, I do think it is. A, it is a hard question, um, but I. I think the one thing about unions is that they're fighting for the benefit of their workers, right? And I think that they, there is a definite benefit into um, providing coverage for everybody and making sure that everybody is covered even after you're no longer working. Um, For people who are members of other, not every union has um, adequate healthcare coverage. Some unions are still fighting to achieve healthcare coverage. And I think that one thing that's really great about unions is that they understand the collective the collective and the power of organizing all together and doing what's best for the collective good. And I think that a country that really provides for its citizens in terms of health care, so that that's one less thing that the unions have to fight for constantly. I think that that's, a, that's, a, that's an argument that I'd be willing to say is, is pretty convincing, that we can, we can shape healthcare care in a way that, you know, Bernie's plan will, you know, eliminate any sort of um, co-pays. I mean, I think that's incredible. And I think that that's something that we can sell unions
5: on.
0: One I mean, w- last word? What,
5: what Bernie said, and I think that we can actually codify it, and, 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 maybe, and I, don't, I think you have to tweak it. I'm a lawyer, so the devil's in the detail, right? But he basically said that he will not support any implementation of Medicare for All that provides less benefits mm-hmm. and less coverage mm-hmm. than union workers currently get, right? And so if there's a way to codify that in whatever is, is passed into law, I think that that will address it, But because I actually think in the end his change will lead to better coverage, but if there's something that says that what they're currently getting from their union, from the bargaining unit, that nothing is going to be below that, I think that that will address a lot of those fears. Mm-hmm.
0: Ten seconds for any I saw a hand go up. Ten <laughs> seconds. Terry, ten seconds.
2: Yeah, I just wanna say I mean we've talk a lot about electability and then we try to sort of game it out and figure out who's, you know, highest in the poll and who's most likely to win over this or that population. And I just wanna make a brief pitch for everyone supporting the candidate who you think would be the best president in the primary, and then we'll deal with the rest after the general. <laughs> During the general
0: great words and actually part of my conclusion. Let's give a round of applause for our <laughs> <panelists>. <laughs> Who are by the way leaders of our community like we had said truly and a lot of the work that they do Thank you so much for all of you for coming out and breathe Whew, sigh. <laughs> We got through it and, and I really truly believe that this is the majority of us in which we all want the same things We all want the same things and it, all, it it truly is all up to us to keep continuing the discussion and talking to our friends, our family, our neighbors, get people out as much as possible, get engaged, get active, and keep these things in mind and some of these issues that we had talked about. So I hope that you take all of this out there and continue doing that until we get to November. And if you're new here and you're just getting acquainted with the program, it's the Michelle Miao Show. Uh, it, yeah. selfish plug, if I may. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um. I've been really excited to do the work here at the uh, Commonwealth Club of California, which has been around for over 100 years. So it's an iconic organization here in San Francisco. It's a nonpartisan um, organization, and we've been able to reach across the aisle to many different peoples and, and, and have these conversations, especially around social justice, with an intersectional approach. Um, yeah. <laughs> Huh. So if you check the full listing, I mean, next week we have a guy who's going to be here talking about breaking hate. He's a former white nationalist. And and that's, you know, me, a nonconforming, you know, person, lesbian of color, who's going to sit down with the guy talking about white nationalist views and what how he's moved on from that. We'll also have a conversation with Ryan O'Callaghan, who's a former NFL player. He played for the the Patriots. And he was also featured on the Netflix documentary about, um, uh, gosh, what's his name, Aaron, Aaron Hernandez. That's right. Um, and and he talked about what it was like being closeted and playing for the Patriots. And then you know, there's just so many more programs that I'm super proud of. But please check out commonwealthclub.org/mms. Both John and I do this program. Thanks again for being out here, and we'll see you around. And make sure you vote and get out the vote. Thanks for joining us for the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. We're here every Thursday live at the Commonwealth Club. And you can listen to past shows at
4: CommonwealthClub.org slash MMS.